action. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Cosmic Car Wash podcast. Uh, I'm Paul. That's I'm Rick. Rick. That's there with me. Uh, I'm in Michigan. He's in Virginia. But uh, we are brothers from another mother, friends for a long time, and just excited to be back today. Yes. And, uh, yeah, as you can see from the the title here, we're calling this one Desperate or Dignified. And uh, this kind of came out of a conversation we were having toward the end of our, our last episode um, about is our, is our dignity and is our desire to be like respected and not be an embarrassment or not, you know, make a spectacle keeping us from the things that God has for us. And so um, there's, you know, numerous examples that I know we want to cite. I've got some written down here and, and I know you would do as well, but, um, I think that's the thing that we really have to overcome as we're searching for and seeking for the kingdom of God, because this is, after all, a podcast about the kingdom of God. And uh, if you're wondering what the heck the cosmic car wash is in reference to, you should probably go back to our first episode and, and watch that. And it's all laid out for you there, uh, nice and neat. But yeah, in searching for the kingdom of God, um, it doesn't always conform to our societal standards or, you know, and there's plenty of examples in the Bible of, of people who got a hold of God in their moment of need or in the moment of need for somebody that they loved and got Jesus's attention, got God's attention. But uh, I think without too many exceptions, uh, God waits for us to come to him. You know, he doesn't push himself on us. And so it requires us and it requires anybody who wants to come to God to be willing to do something different. You know, what's the saying? If you want to get what you've always gotten, just keep doing what you've always done. And so if, if we find ourselves at a place where God, where are you? Why aren't you moving in my life? I need you. Well, what are we willing to do differently? How far are we willing to go to get a hold of the presence of God to really bring God's space and our space close together. You know, that's what the kingdom of God is all about. That's what Jesus talked about. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. So with that, we'll kind of launch into this and I always kick it over to you, Rick, and you can get us started and then we'll just go from there and see where it takes us. Uh, desperate people, desperation. Um, uh, you know, we, we probably see examples of that. Uh, in our lives every day. And I, I would imagine a lot of us uh, miss uh, desperate. I mean, you, you know, um, how many times have you eaten gas station sushi and you get stuck in a traffic jam? I think it's getting real desperate. That's a desperate person. And, uh, <laughs> or, you know, your spouse takes the car out and brings it back on fumes and you don't realize it until you're halfway to your destination. That's a desperate person. Uh, you're late to an appointment and you got, uh, you're pushing the envelope and the lights come up behind you. That's a desperate person. And I've been uh, in all three of those situations. <laughs> I've never eaten, all I've never eaten gas station sushi and not about <laughs> to start. So, um, the, our last podcast got some interesting, um, responses, um, irrelevant babble. I, I proudly, um, uh, accepted that. So 
when you're talking about the kingdom of God and uh, the veils in our hearts being torn, and that's referred to as irrelevant babble, then I think we're on the right track. We're suffering persecution. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it hurts so much. <laughs> I care. I'm triggered. <laughs> I need a safe space. Yeah. So anyway, talking about the desperation and uh, uh, gosh, the the Bible is filled with desperate people. And it seems that desperate people get Jesus' attention. They get God's attention. And uh, Jairus is the one that really stands out to me. And he's the, uh, some theologians believe he was in the temple in Capernaum when Jesus healed the man, uh, the crippled guy's hand, I believe. Um could be wrong. Uh, anyway, he was in a temple in Capernaum. A man was healed. Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and religious leaders got, you know, all their uh, religious panties in a twist, and uh, they wanted to kill him. You know, wow. Uh, that's uh, neither desperate nor dignified. Um, and so he uh, leaves there. And uh, Jairus, who, again, like I said, some people believe that he was in the temple and part of the temple leadership. After seeing that, it obviously, you know, moved something in him. And his daughter, six, got a 12-year-old daughter who is dying. And so he casts everything, puts everything aside, his position, um, his status, you know, his accomplishments, his, uh, um, his dignity throws it out the window and he comes and falls at Jesus feet and everybody's watching this display and, um, you know, quite a testimony really. And Jesus agrees to go, okay, let's go to your house. So they're on the way they're going to Jairus's house. And that's when the press happens, the story of the press and all of these people. And to me, it's this incredible, beautiful picture of church. All these people are following Jesus, all of them, all these in one form or for one reason or another, whether they're bored, they're angry, they're hungry because they heard, you know, last time they got fish sandwiches. Um, uh, so, you know, their cables out, whatever. You know, uh, my, my grandparents follow Jesus, so I am too. You know, just, I mean, you could just have a laundry list of all the reasons, all these people, including his disciples. And um, they're all following to the point where they're pressing in on him. It it's becomes a press. And in this press, Jairus, and uh, I didn't know that he was until doing this research this week, that Jairus was a part of that press, and he's desperate to get Jesus to his house. Uh, probably to the point of almost being um, annoyingly panicked. I mean, you can imagine, you know, I mean, if it was someone you loved, your spouse, you know, sibling, your parents are a really good friend, you know, like me. And, uh, you know, you're trying to come on, man, come on. You know, time is of the essence. Let's make haste. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And um, people are jostling and pushing and, and banging into each other. And, uh, he can't, you know, he can barely move. And in the midst of all of this chaotic, um, whatever, just chaos, chaos, a woman 
who's been bleeding for 12 years. How she did not bleed to death, I have no idea. And um, she must have been really frail, but really determined and uh, desperate. She was just as desperate as Jairus. Yep. And um, she made her way through that mess and managed to get a hold and uh, some translations, you know, they say they touched him. Some translations, or she grabbed a hold of it. She grabbed a hold of it. his prayer cloth, his tassel. And all those tassels have some meaning. I'm not a Bible scholar by any means. Um, but I know that each one has something to do with, you know, as they're praying and they grab one. You you know, I think we've talked about that. But So she grabs a hold of that. Go ahead. You're going to say something. Well, yeah, a little aside. You probably don't even know this. Years and years ago when... You know, you still lived in Illinois and I was visiting. I was at your house and you had uh, some kind of a messianic Jewish magazine on your coffee table. And I think I was waiting to go home uh, for the evening, which that's a whole long story, but won't go into. But I was reading this magazine and it was talking about those tassels and that specific story about the woman saying, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, better translated that was those tassels that Jewish men would hang. And those were actually representative. It was like a, uh, a visual representation of the word of God, you know, that they would hang these tassels. And that was supposed to be a reminder for them. Wherever they go, the word of God goes with them. And so she was not just trying to grab hold of his, the edge of his robe randomly. She was grabbing hold of the promise and the word of God. Wow that Jesus, you know, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. But I thought, and they're called, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. So maybe somebody that's watching this and as a Hebrew scholar will correct me, but it's spelled T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T, which I pronounce Zitzit. I don't know if that's right or not. T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. Yeah, maybe we can run it by the people who considered this irrelevant babble and they can educate us on that. On the customs and cultures. Yes, I'm hoping so. And uh, <laughs> because I can't wait, Zing. can't wait to share this. Um, so this is all happening and she gets through this press and grabs a hold of it, a, a desperate, frail woman. And she had to be, I mean, you've been bleeding for 12 years. You've exhausted all your finances and your resources. I mean, you, you are on the brink of dying. If this does not happen, she's going to die. And Jared Jairus, is he's just as desperate and all these people, you know, taking into consideration how many people are actually touching him, you know, including his disciples and they're trying to keep people off of him. I mean, it's like a, you know, he's a rock star, you know, in this moment and people are trying to get to him and she gets healed. I, I have to imagine there were other possibly, you know, sick people trying to get to him, but she gets healed and he knows it. Somebody touched me, and it's that. What do his disciples say? Oh, Lord, there's everybody's touching you. <laughs> you know? And uh, security needs to be fired. Um, so, you know, he, she's healed and says, Go, your faith has made you well. So, there's that, there's a credible message there, an example of that desperation. In the meantime, somebody shows up and says, She's died. And I can't imagine, you know, and apparently Jairus is right there with Jesus because Jesus hears this person that tells Jairus, don't, don't bother the teacher anymore because she's dead. And, um, 
So let's see. Um, hold on one second. And some people believe that he was not in a hurry to get there. You know, he's the son of God. Hey, you know, if I show up two weeks late, you know, uh, she'll be all right. And, um, and Jesus heard the man say Jairus' daughter was dead. So he looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid. Believe and she will be made whole. So there was um, a condition there. Just believe. You know, but I'm sure that Jairus, you know, I mean, I have a daughter, you know, and um, that just that moment, I can't even imagine what went through Jairus's mind after he has risked everything. You know, I mean, he was in the temple just possibly just days or maybe the day before and watched him heal a cripple and then begs him, you know. It could have been a day, it could have been, you know, weeks. But in that interim, his daughter gets sick and she's dying. So um, looking at this realistically, I guess, all of this has transpired over a short period of time. And then this woman who delays Jesus' arrival to Jairus' house and she needs healing, his daughter dies. I can't imagine the emotion that's going through him and in his desperation. It's got to be broken. And Jesus hears and says, don't be afraid. So they get to his house and um, there's people already there. Uh, people are crying and um, Jesus uh, tells everybody to get out. He said he just lets Jairus, his wife, the girl's mother, Peter, James, and John. That's all. And, uh, they're all crying and he tells them, don't be afraid. She's sleeping and not dead. Well, scripture says that they laughed at him. So that's quite a turn in emotion. Right. Is that quick? You know, you, you're bawling and then you start laughing. And, um, some, uh, theologians and scholars, they were professional mourners back in the day where that's what you did. That was your resume, you know? Would you have to audition for that? Well, I'm sure that you would have to. You had a like, let me see your best weeping and wailing. You know, yes. Hey, uh, uh, I've been a mourner for uh, 35 years. I uh, made a good living. I put my kids through college. Um, I, you know, I wasn't a dentist like my brother. So. <laughs> I, I know, professional mourner. And, uh, you know, all your, your biggest, uh, you know, uh, yeah, your, your biggest funerals or whatever. Hey, you know, I was at the, I was at the Elvis funeral. You know, I was in front. Uh, I mean, all these different, whatever. And they're, they are there because the more that you had, the more, the, you know, the wealthier obviously had all of it. They would pay these people to mourn and cry and wail. You know, what a spectacle. So they start laughing and Jesus gets them out. And, uh, part of that, again, there, here's another message there that, uh, just as he told Jairus, just believe. Sometimes you got to get the unbelief out of the room. So kind of tie that back. I don't want to go too far afield, but you tie that back to when Jesus was in Nazareth. He could do uh, not many miracles except for he lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them because of their lack of faith. Yeah. So Yeah, you're right. There's only two uh, places in Scripture where Jesus marveled which, yep. you know, in today's nomenclature is he went, wow, 
for the son of God to go, wow. First time was with the uh, Roman centurion. Yep. I've never seen faith like this from a Roman. And then in his hometown, yep. he marveled at their unbelief. So that's what he had. He had to get the unbelief out of the room. And yep. uh, when he did, he healed her and she came back to life. Um, so this desperation, taking it a step further and, and just approaching this and looking at this. And I know you've got some great examples too of just this, this complete abandonment of dignity, this complete mm -hmm. abandonment of image uh, of, you know, um, self-righteousness, whatever you want to call it, self-image, um, uh, you know, uh, just to, to be something or somebody, somebody that's got it all together and, and um, a, a complete abandonment of that in, in that incredible broken place of desperation. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be broken. It's just that I'm getting to Jesus and I don't care. Right. And um, I think that if we were able to see more and more of this in our churches and, uh, you know, even in my church is, is that because people, they, you know, for one reason or another, you, you, you know, I think it's human nature to want people to think you have it all together. Yeah. You know, it's all good. You know, I'm good. The Lord's good to me. And, and, um, but I think that any time that we get comfortable is the moment that we get comfortable is the same moment that it, we start to, to go further apart from him. And, yeah. and, um, you know, as, uh, as chaotic as the press was the religious press, where would you rather be? trying to get to him or just watching from afar. Right. And, and then on the flip side of that, in that desperation, there are so many people following Jesus in one for one reason or another, one fashion or another, that if we're not making a way, then we're just in the way we're in the way we're one more obstacle that that desperation, that desperate person has to get through. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I got. Yeah. I think there's a whole, like, this is a huge problem for the church. And we can say that because we're part of the church. Yeah. We're not standing on the outside, throwing stones at a glass house. We're on the inside saying we have a problem is that we've got this whole complex of decorum and dignity and our services have to go a certain way and our lives need to look a certain way. And we need to portray to our community that we've got it all together. Right. And that's the thing that's keeping people from getting connected to the life of God. You know, I love what uh, Steve Gray of uh, world revival church said is, you know, we get people to Jesus and let him figure it all out. It's his problem. You know, it's not our job to, heal the sick and raise the dead. It's our peop it's our job to <laughs> kind of like the Marines say, you know, it's your God, it's j God's job to judge you. It's our job to arrange the meeting. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, <clears throat> so in a sense, you know, we are like this Marine force. It's our job 
to make it possible for desperate people yes. to get to Jesus, but it's our decorum that stands in the way. We can't lead people to a place we haven't been. Yep. You know, Jesus said, can the blind lead the blind? Otherwise they'd both fall into a pit. But uh, yeah, there's, you know, this whole problem that, that Jairus was facing, like he kind of broached or kind of breached social protocol. You know, Jesus was, you know, maybe it seemed like he was in a moment of popularity, uh, at least at that time, but certainly not with the religious establishment. They still didn't like him, but, you know, here Jairus was, you know, obviously a, a powerful, wealthy, well, well-known, well-to-do person going to, you know, this traveling mystic hmm. saying, I've, I saw you do something miraculous. Can you do something up, you know, something else miraculous because my daughter right. desperately needs you. And maybe this was the first time Jesus had ever raised anybody from the dead. So until that point, nobody knew that was possible. They thought, well, you know, like you can heal her, but if she dies, then that's it. But obviously we know even death is not an obstacle for the son of God. But uh, something else that as <clears throat> you were talking about, uh, Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood, and there's all this stuff going on. Um, maybe this will be a quotable quote, but it's possible for us to get all of God applied to us, and yet we've taken nothing from him. Like, he, he, Jesus is big enough to handle a woman pressing through the crowd with an issue of blood and take care of Jairus's sick and now dead daughter. Like, He's not at all phased by it. Like there is no barrier to the kingdom of God. There's no hill that's too high to climb. There's no pit that's too deep. Like that desperation and that faith of clinging to Jesus is what matters. Yeah. You wonder how many other sick people may have been in that crowd that day, but weren't, um, had too much dignity to get, Yeah. yeah, you know, it's too crowded and, I don't want to bother him. Um, uh, You just don't know. I mean, desperate people do desperate things. You know, there's that old saying, desperate times call for desperate measures. And um, I I recall a time back in Illinois, and uh, I was driving through downtown of a little town one day, and there was a a guy sitting on a bench. He was homeless. It was obvious. And... um, I was moved uh, to, I drove and got a couple bags of fast food and, and, uh, came back and he was still there. And I stopped and got out and gave him the food and just told him, Jesus loves you, man. I just wanted to yeah. make sure you got to eat today. And he was very grateful and thankful. And I drove away one. Well, I, uh, a couple of days later, I was talking to, you know, community leader, business owner, and was also, a, you know, a leader in church. I was, I attended and I got a lecture about the guy. So apparently they knew who he was and why he was there and what he, you know, and, um, what he did or whatever. I mean, it wasn't anything heinous. He just made some stupid decisions, you know, um, not that we've ever made a stupid decision. <laughs> not in the last 23 minutes. <laughs> But the day's young. So, right. There's plenty of room for stupid decisions. <laughs> plenty of day left for a stupid decision, you know. <laughs> and uh, I remember at the time thinking, what difference does it make? He's still hungry. 
Yeah. You know, I'm sure that thought has probably crossed his mind, especially when he's sitting in a town where he's known and thinking, wow, I really screwed the pooch on this one. Right. And some kid pulls up and hands him a bag of food. You know, there had to be a little bit of, you know, faith in that. Like, wow. Okay. And we just don't know. And so sometimes that dignity can really, yeah, I know you've got some stuff about David and, and his worship, you know, he wasn't in a place of desperation, you know, and, and the way that we've been talking, but I, I love the way you share that. Yeah. So the, the occasion here, it's out of uh second Samuel chapter six, the, <clears throat> the occasion for, uh, all of the story is they're bringing the ark of the, the the presence of God back into Jerusalem. It had been, I think it had been held by the Philistines for a long time. Um, and then uh, Israel went and recaptured it and it was being held at this guy's home. And fo now finally David is king, mm -hmm. you know, after a disastrous uh, King Saul's reign. And uh, David, who was a man after God's own heart and is kind of the archetype of a righteous king, a godly king, a, a king whose uh, highest priority was the presence of God. Right. They're bringing the ark into Jerusalem, and there's this whole big celebration. You know, there's like music and dancing, and you know, all of just this huge fanfare because this is the the ark that represents the presence of God that went with Israel through the wilderness for years and years, and um, David is dancing, you know, he was, I forget exactly how the scripture uses it, but I, I think he was probably had some kind of a, a loincloth on or something he was covering. He was, he had some dignity, you know, he right. wasn't being obscene, uh, but he's dancing just with joyful abandon before yeah. God. This is the presence of God returning to God's city. And, uh, David's first wife was Michael the daughter of Saul. Right. And there she was in her royal robes, you know, looking down from her, you know, stained glass, you know, roof. Her gilded cage. And her gilded cage. <laughs> and uh, the Bible says that she despised him in her heart. Wow. And when David finally got back up to his house and he's talking with his wife. She said, you know, how dignified you were in front of the, the, the women, the virgins of Israel. And uh, David's response was, you know, you despise me, but I will be held in honor by those women and I will become even more undignified like that. And it just speaks to that heart of like, I love God so much. He is such a priority to me. Nothing else matters. And right. you get in that place where I don't care what this looks like. You know, you and I have both experienced that, Rick, of moments of just being in worship, whether it's corporately right. or by ourselves, where it's just this thing kind of erupts out of you. Of yes. Like, I cannot contain this. I don't care if it looks weird. I don't care if people hear me. I don't care if I get sweaty. I don't care if I lose my voice. I have got to show God how awesome he is and how much I love him. And it just, it's this very, like, childlike eruption of just gratitude and, and worship for God. And I love David's response. It's like, nothing's going to get in the way of that. I will become even more undignified. I don't know what that would look like, but just that sentiment of 
there's nothing that I'm going to hold back from God. You know, we talked about this weeks ago. I hold my life with open yep. hands. God, you can have it all. I don't care. All of this belongs to you. I'm safe with you. I trust you. And I just get the freedom to just worship and defy the decorum and don't worry about your status or your position or, you know, keeping your reputation intact because all of that stuff is going to, it's fickle anyway, you know, like what people think of us changes with every wind that blows, but yeah, yeah, I know. And we've both been in churches um, on both sides of that line of that aisle of that chasm churches where there is uh, reckless abandon is the norm. If you're, right. if you're standing still or sitting down, you look out of place where the entire church is just erupted into worship. And some people might see that as chaos and chaotic and what's going on here, but really it's more of a reveal of their own heart. And, yep. you know, I mean, it's, you know, as long as it's not just like crazy, but I've been in churches where the power of God just truly sweeps through the place and, and uh, it is, um, it's life changing. Right. And um, it's not, you know, just manifested by people let's you know get hyped up like you're sitting in the end zone in soldier field you know during the playoffs and it's uh 10 below and people are in the end zone with their shirts off wearing watermelon football helmets and uh that's normal that's acceptable right that's acceptable but yeah but don't come get on yeah right but but don't let me come and worship god and lift my hands exactly. and jump up and down a little yeah but you know, uh, exactly you know you get you get loud and, and happy in church and it's like, control yourself, you know, show some dignity. <laughs> really? Didn't I see you in the end zone last Sunday <laughs> Right. with your shirt off yeah. and a big C painted on your chest? <laughs> I mean, right. so I've seen and experienced both sides, you know, um, not to single out any churches, but I have been in those that are very dry. You know, and just mm -hmm. some very dusty dogmas where everything is so proper and, um, oh my gosh, just even to the point of being lifeless. It is, is a religious obligation. There is no joy in Mudville. There's no excitement. You know, it's just this, uh, dry, dusty dogma and rhetoric and, um, and, and there's no desperation for God, even, you know, uh, for the sick, I know I've been with people when you're trying to pray for people that are broken and sick or, or they're just, you know, incarcerated or something, you know, that has truly been a, just a traumatic paradigm shift in their lives. And you're praying desperately, you know, for God to intervene. You're speaking life, you know, and as long as there's still life in those lungs, there's life in that body. And yeah. And you pray with strength and power. And then the next person says, you know, Lord, whatever your will may be, if you choose to take them today, we understand, you know, and Jesus never did that. No. You know, all in the Greek means all. And <laughs> when he healed right. them all, he healed them all, all of them. And um, yeah, even with the Syrophoenician woman, you know. Yep. When she came to Jesus, didn't she have a, I know you did a little bit more research. I just read about this, but I, I can't remember what I, yeah, her, 
so the the story is out of Mark chapter seven. Um, her daughter was demon possessed, okay. and it sounds like Jesus and the disciples, and we don't know how many other people were there, but they're walking down the road on their way to their next spot, and this woman started calling out, and the disciples were actually like, "Jesus, tell this woman to be quiet. You know, she's she's embarrassing us, or she's getting on our nerves." And she would not be silenced, you know, she kept crying out. And anybody that knows the story knows there was a little back and forth between her and Jesus, you know, where Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to their dogs. But her desperate faith didn't stop at that. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And I'm sure there's way more like cultural nuances to that, that, that uh, we don't get. And, you know, Keener's commentary, I'm sure has a lot to say about it. But, you know, she understood, like, even that little bit from God is enough to take care of all her problems. But that she just, I love that desperation. She wouldn't be silenced, you know. And this kind of reminds me of the the other story in the Gospels. And I don't know the address for this one, but the two blind men who sat on the side of the road calling out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd, again, told him, be quiet. And it says they shouted all the louder. You know, it's just great examples of people that just refuse to be quiet. I'm going to get a hold of God no matter what. And you're not going to get in my way. And nobody else is going to get in my way. And I don't care if this is my absolute last option and my last ounce of energy. I'm going to press through and get a hold of Jesus because the kingdom of God is where all of our answers are at. You know what? You're right. And I think that people who get a hold of that desperation, whether it's out of incredible need or just incredible love and respect for God, like David, I'm going to, you know, in your eyes, then I'm going to be undignified. In God's eyes, I'm just celebrating his presence. And I wonder how many times, because just perfect example, as I remember one of the first times I visited Smithton, Missouri, um, when they were having their outpouring and everyone was so free, including the men, you know, yep. coming from a church where most guys had their feet nailed to the floor, you know, right. and you might get the, the one half arm up in the air, you know, I'm, you know, that even that, you know, I mean, you do that in some mainline denominations and people call on you. Yes, you have a question. <laughs> uh, no, I was, you know, no, I was just worshiping. <laughs> well, put your hand down. We thought you had a question. Uh, yeah, where's the exit? <laughs> um, and I remember thinking to myself, I mean, everything in me, Paul, I want this. I want yeah. that freedom. So as we were talking, I I, uh, I wondered that those, if you call them, you know, a pioneer or some, you know, brave aviator that uh, is willing to, lay that aside, cast their dignity aside and rejoice at the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And on that Sunday morning, just with reckless abandon worship that I'm sure there will be the, you know, the Michaels, um, the detractors. Yeah. yeah, The detractors, uh, Michael is in Saul's daughter and those who, um, will join you and, and in that desperation, we can expect for the presence of God to show up. And yeah. speaking of the Syrophoenician woman, uh, Keener's commentary 
and the and the, the language translators when they wrote it um, translated it that way. But according to Keener, the uh, the language isn't isn't as harsh as it reads. Jesus did not call her a dog. Yeah. You know, he was referring to the children of Israel and the, and their pets. And he was basically saying, I have to feed the children before I feed the pets. And that's when she said, well, even the pets eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as harsh as it reads. You know? <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So, um, you know, at least he was living in the house, you know. Right. And uh, get to play on the couch sometimes. <laughs> well, she yeah. So to kind of carry on with that, then she got the same blessing as right. the children. Yes. Like I think that's a beautiful way of Jesus showing this isn't limited just to the nation of Israel. This is for everybody. You know, this for all who will, any who will come. Yeah. The kingdom of God is not limited anymore to the elite, to the chosen few, to the the kingdom of God is available for anybody who wants it. Absolutely. You'll never find crumbs on a hungry person's table. True story. You'll never find crumbs. And I think that might be part of the problem is that a lot of, we don't come to church hungry. We're already full. We've eaten our fill. And uh, so we're looking for something sweet and something tasty. And, and I love, I, I say that tongue in cheek sarcastically when people will give you that reason why they left the church, you know, well, we just weren't being fed, you know, and <laughs> you're, you know, and you run into them at a buffet. Hey, I haven't seen you in church. Well, we decided to go somewhere else. We weren't being fed. <laughs> you're like, really? <laughs> you weren't being Well, fed. you know, and so I've heard that before too. And what, I would love to see is do those people then go home and sit in their homes and like just pour themselves into Bible study and worship and they're having such yeah. wonderful times of God by themselves, but they just can't find that in their corporate church or are they sitting at home? I mean, and I'm guilty of this too. I'm not pointing fingers. I have been there Well, I sit home and I watch garbage on TV and I listen to garbage and I participate in garbage all week. And then they come to church on Sunday and expect you know, God to fix in one 30 minute sermon, what I spent an entire week messing up. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. well, you know, it's like you said, if you're sitting at home and you're, you know, you're doing daily devotions, you're in prayer time, you're in fellowship with other people, whether they're in Michigan yep. or in Virginia, um, you're more inclined to be able to serve, to stay and serve. Yeah. Yeah. To serve, to, to fix something to eat, right? to go to church and actually serve, you know, I mean, if we're going to make this all metaphors, uh, you know, you can, you, you're more inclined to go into the kitchen and fix something edible. And um, right. so you're, you're going to be able to go to church and you're going to be able to serve. You're going to be able to, uh, to minister to people, to feed them, so to speak, you know, as opposed to sitting there like a bunch of baby birds waiting for, preacher to spit something in your mouth. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of graphic and gross, but we'll, we'll let our detractors have that one. So, right. Our, well, you know, so this, yeah, I mean, that kind of speaks to something I was thinking of just a few minutes ago is, is we get an opportunity as we're listening to this and you and I are considering it. And as people are listening to this, hopefully it's kind of resonating with you. Like, yeah, this sounds right. 
is we're being presented an opportunity at this very moment to become that person who pushes past the decorum and gets to a place of desperation and somebody else sees you and says, Oh, I can do that. Yes. This is okay. I can, I can push for God. Like God wants this God's there and he's available. Yeah. We get the opportunity to stay and show them God responds to people who are desperate. There you go. You're right. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, sometimes all it takes is that one person is to be desperate for God. And I guarantee you there's more than one person that wants it. Yep. There are people, especially with men, you know, women can, you know, I mean, not to be, you know, um, gender biased or whatever is that, you know, they're a little bit more freer. They're going to cry. They're going to weep. They're going to come. I know from experience in my church when, Jan and I are leading worship, you know, and a lot of times the women will come up to the altar first just during yeah. worship and get on, you know, kneel down and some of them will weep, you know, and, uh, but rarely do you see that, that dude, you know, right. come up. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Men need to see other yes. men passionate for God. Absolutely. You're absolutely a hundred percent right. Yeah. And it has to start in the church. You're right. You know? has to because that passion and that desperation isn't just for Sunday football or the World Series or your, you know, whatever your hobby or your toy is. That passion is designed to be poured out at the feet of Jesus. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Our men have really become isolated in our culture and uh, besides being attacked. um, But yeah, I, you know, then maybe that's a call for you and I as well is to begin to become more freer in our churches and um, more desperate. Yeah. You know, if that's possible. Um, and uh, I mean, I, you know, where is it in the revelations where it says, and the church was crying out Maranatha. Maranatha is right at the end. That's, yeah. That's, that's what leads to the return of the king is people crying out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Right. And uh, if that's got to be loud. Yeah. Because that many that, you know, is it from a place of desperation or is it coming from a place of absolute desire like David? You mm-hmm. know, so really that leads us to will we be Jairus who gets to a point to where religion our religion means nothing to us and we don't care anymore. So we end up falling at Jesus's feet or will it come from a place like David where it's just absolute, complete joy and devotion. And I think that we all have a choice at one time or another where we, we get an opportunity to choose where will your desperation come from? Will it come uh, from broken dignity or will it come from absolute joy? Right. So, yeah, because if we, if we start with desperation now, the, the healing starts, we don't have to wait till our whole life falls apart. There you go. We can start now and get God engaged in our lives right now. This isn't a wait until we die. And right. You know, it's none of that. We, We can start that healing process now beautiful so love it that's good that's good i think this is a good place to end i agree all right
First thing we got to, or the next thing we need to say though, before we go, God, God is not mad at you. Right. God is not mad at you. If you're listening, you're watching right now. God's yep. not mad at you. God is not mad. He wants desperate people. Yeah. 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 Just a, a quick one last uh, scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and desperate people yeah. lay hold of it. Desperate people like a little bit. I love it. I love All it. right. We'll be back here next week. And uh, yeah, if you like what you heard, please uh, hit the like button. We would love it if you would subscribe to our channel. And uh, if you want to get a hold of us, talk more about this, find out, you know, who are these guys? We're not scholars or theologians. We're just two guys who are passionate for and desperate for the kingdom of God and really want to incorporate this into every area of our lives. You can reach us at info at thecosmiccarwash.com, and uh, we'll be happy to uh, connect with you and just share with you what we've got. So see you next week. Peace.